10 to 5 or by appointment at 96 Main Street, Belfast, 338-6465 or thebelfastframer.com. I'm Fritz Homans, and meet me every Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 4 at the Blues Station. We'll be departing on track 145 for a new destination every week, where we'll journey across the country in search of the best toe-tapping blues music around that's guaranteed to make your soul sing. The Blues Station, every Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 4, here on WERU 89.9 FM, and streaming live at WERU.org. Blues to make you feel good. All aboard for the Blues Station. Support for WERU health-related programming comes from the Penobscot Bay Press, committed to providing community news and information, publishing three weekly newspapers, the Weekly Packet, Island Advantages, the Castine Patriot, the annual Bay Community Register, the Summer Seasonal Guide, and more. Also on the web at www.penobscotbaypress.com. It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online around the world at WERU.org. Healthy Options with your host, Andre Bella, is up next. Good morning. This is Andre Bella for Healthy Options, a program about alternative health therapies. And today we'll be speaking with Buck O'Haran of the Sheepscoat Wellspring Land Alliance. We'll also be speaking with Hank Collette of Ravenwood and John Luft of Revision. Today we'd like to tell you about the Sheepscoat Wellspring Land Alliance and about their annual fundraising event, Sustainable Backyards, a tour of homes, farms, and woods of Waldo County. This event will take place this Saturday, August 7th, from 10 to 5 p.m. And we hope after listening to this show, you will all want to go buy tickets and be there for Saturday because there are a number of uh, options on the venue, and that's what we would like to tell you about today. 
Um, so this is a call-in show. At the half hour, we'll be opening up the phone lines, and we'll give you the numbers for calling in. And we also want you to be thinking about things that you've done in your own lives to be sustainable. Um, we'd love to hear your stories. So be thinking about that, and at the half hour, we will turn on the phone lines and have you call in. Um, Buck O'Haran is the executive director of the Sheepskit Wellspring Land Alliance, a Waldo County land trust that works to protect the upper Sheepskit River watershed in the towns of Freedom, Montville, Liberty, and Palermo. He served on the board uh, from 1999 to 2006, and in March of 2006, he became the first executive director. He has an MA in environmental education and has taught for the National Audubon Society Expedition Institute, Unity College, Sterling College, and the Community School in Camden. He's a Maine guide, an experienced backcountry traveler who's backpacked and canoed throughout North America, and he's lived in Maine since 1985. Welcome, Buck. Good morning, Andre. Uh, also, we have Hank Coletto. Um, he's born in Massachusetts. Hank grew up in a small town with a family of five children. From a very early time in his life, Hank developed a very intimate connection with the more than human world. Organic gardening, environmental activism, and living out of doors were a mainstay of his formative years. Higher education began for Hank at a community college in his home state as he worked towards an AS in environmental technology. Hank then moved to the University of Maine for a BS in Environmental Studies, followed by an MS in Environmental Education from Leslie College in AEI. Following his formal education, he lived in an intentional community land trust where he became the father of a wonderful daughter. Hank taught himself to build a super-insulated, earth-bermed, solar-heated house, an experience which served as a foundation from which he obtained work in the field of energy conservation for a company that did subcontracting work for the DOE. AEI then became the setting for Hank's new career, where he's happily remained for the last 11 years. So, welcome, Hank. Thank you, Andre. And we have John Luff, General Manager of the Liberty Branch of Maine Solar Thermal Installer Certification. John's the General Manager of the Liberty Shop, and he also supervises the branch's solar thermal division. John started out with the company when it was Energy Works, doing solar thermal installations back in 2004. Since then, he's installed, designed, and managed hundreds of residential and commercial solar thermal projects. He has a BS from Unity College, and he's a licensed State of Maine certified solar thermal installer. John resides in an off-grid solar home that he and his wife Joanne built. When John's not busy keeping up with the demand for solar projects, he's found spending time with his family playing his guitar, bicycling, fishing, and working in the woods with his two sons. Welcome, John. Thank you. We'd like to start off with you, Buck, and have us tell us a little bit about um, the uh, Sheepscut Wellspring Land Alliance. The Sheepscut Wellspring Land Alliance is a um, land conservation organization. Uh, we're based in Monville right now, but work in the headwaters of the Sheepskit River watershed and cover four towns there, Freedom, Liberty, Palermo, and Monville. Um, the group got started around 1991 and currently we protect about 1,250 acres of land and we co-manage one of the largest trail networks uh, in Midcoast area and the largest in Waldo County, 26 miles of trails out there for people to enjoy some of the beautiful lands. And um, that's 
kind of just the straight background on uh, the land trust. So what actually is a land trust? Um, there's about a hundred of them here in Maine and they got started probably the first one back in the 60s when a group of people somewhere in southern Maine realized that they were starting to lose some of their favorite places in the communities they lived in. You know, places maybe, you know, open fields where people had always picnicked or gone sleigh riding or swimming holes on along favorite lakes and ponds. And they realized that if they didn't buy that land and protect it, it was going to be gone and no longer available to the community. So uh, since that time, some probably 50 years ago, about 100 land trusts have sprung up in Maine, mostly in southern Maine, where the threat to, from development is greatest or the impact is greatest. And they're protecting these special places um, all over southern Maine right now. And, and land trusts are the main vehicle by which most land is conserved in, in Maine and probably in the country uh, at this point. So, um, and development, of course, is on the increase. And so it's, it is important for people who care about the places they love and the communities where they live to support their local land trust and save these special places. So do, do land trusts buy the land from private ownership? Is that how it works legally? There's a couple of ways to conserve land. One option is to buy the land and own it. Um, and the, the other option commonly used is to place on a piece of property what's called a conservation easement. And in that case, it's a legal document that usually removes some of the development rights and maybe certain kinds of uses. And the landowner continues to own the land and, and it gets passed on down to future landowners, but the land trust um, takes some responsibility to ensure that the agreements to protect the land are enforced in perpetuity. So this might happen with people who have land that is currently either agricultural land or woods land, woodland, is that basically? Yeah, land trusts are interested in conserving working forest land, forever wild lands, farmlands, um, waterfront property on the coast or inland, um, any, any kind of land that people value and uh, often mm -hmm. has some ecological or scenic value. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're having this big fundraiser on Saturday, which we would like to promote this morning. And um, will you tell us a little, again, I'm going to read the title of it because I think it's just great, uh, Sustainable Backyards, a Tour of Homes, Farms, and Woods of Waldo County. That's this Saturday, April 7th from 10 to 5 p.m. And uh, Buck, I'm going to let you explain how the day works. It sounds uh, pretty interesting and of course we're hoping for the best of weather. So uh, tell us a little bit about the tour. Sure. Um, it, it's a collection of six different venues, places that people can visit. Um, you get yourself to the different places. Um, you could do it by bicycle if you're really wanting to uh, do it sustainably, or probably by car is more uh, feasible. And uh, they're spread out from Belfast to Palermo. We have a, uh, a CSA farm, uh, village farm in Freedom that's part of the tour. We have um, Stover Woods in Waldo, just outside of Belfast, where um, Lee Stover has been and his family have been uh, sustainably harvesting wood on their property for three generations, and talks and tours will be available there as well. Um, we have Ravenwood Sustainability Education Site in Searsmont, right on the edge of Montville, a group of people uh, living there who are trying to live as sustainably as they can and grow their own food on 175 acres, and there will be talks and tours there as well. Revision Energy is part of the 
the tour out in Liberty at their office to learn about the different um, alternative technology that, that they're involved with and that is available to homeowners. Super Chili Farm in Palermo is another one, uh, zoned by John Bunker and Cami Watts. And one of the things they feature besides an off-the-grid house is a, a renowned um, heirloom apple orchard of uh, different apple varieties that they've been collecting um, locally over the, the, the decades. Um, quite a place. And um, the last place is the um, geologic home in uh, Belfast on the Crocker Road. Uh, the company is Geologic and they're building uh, very energy efficient homes and uh, that will be available for people to come see and learn about. And, um, the, and those, those uh, six places on the tour that day. And uh, just quickly, last year we did a, a home and garden tour the first time and, and all the homes we included in, in cl had some form of sustainable uh, technology that they were using and this year we decided to try to emphasize sustainability as a bigger issue and and broaden our theme and include more types of activities that people are doing to lessen our uh, footprint upon the planet. So uh, right at, at this spot you gave me some wonderful definitions of sustainability. That's a word that we hear an awful lot these days and I suppose it can mean different things to different people, but would you kind of give us your definition of sustainability? I don't know if I personally have a definition. Um, <laughs> well, you can use that one from Orion Magazine because yep, that looks yep. pretty good. <laughs> um, what I gave to Andre was the, the Orion uh, Magazine uh, May-June issue had an article about sustainability, and they talked about um, the different ways that the word has come to be used, which is many at this point, and... Um, and so I'll give one definition here. It says it has been used variously to mean politically feasible, economically feasible, not part of a pyramid or bubble, socially enlightened, consistent with neoconservative small government dogma, consistent with liberal principles of justice and fairness, morally desirable, and at its most diffuse, sensibly far-sighted. And I think probably generally we just you know, most of us think of sustainable as just something that we can do on an ongoing basis without damaging or depleting um, where we live or the natural resources that we depend on. And uh, but it but it certainly has come to mean a lot of things and is is used very loosely. And I think I've read in a number of places that um, they some people have determined that there's not a country in the world that is actually doing um, you know has an economy that's functioning in a sustainable way mm -hmm. over the long haul. Mm -hmm. Well, it certainly has come to everybody's attention, and I think that's the first step for us to uh, take a, a very close look to see about what we're doing with our, our resources. Um, I like this other definition also from Orion Magazine. It says, nature will decide what is sustainable. It always has, and it always will. Sometimes I think we, f we forget the power of nature itself. The reflective invocation of the term as cover for all manner of human acts and wants shows that sustainability has gained wide acceptance as a longer for if imperfectly understood state of being. So that's a reminder too that, you know, nature is a pretty powerful thing and we need to, we need to remember that as, as human beings. Um, give us just a few more details. There's just such wonderful things and you can go um, uh, on the website that's www.swlamaine.org. 
I'll repeat that one more time. It's www.swlamain.org. And that will give you all the details. But um, there's a lot of suggestions here, and, and maybe we should go over those on uh, tour tip, garden tour tips. There's going to be a raffle and the ticket information. You want to... Just sure. talk about um, that a little bit. In addition to going to our website to get information, you can also just call the Land Trust. Our phone number is 589-3230. That's 589-3230 in order to obtain tickets. And uh, tickets are $20 for adults, 10 for students, and children under 12 are free. They're also available at uh, several businesses in Waldo County, which include Brambles in Belfast, uh, the Green Store in Belfast, Left Bank Books in Searsport, Cross Tracks in Unity, and, of course, from the Sheepskit Wellspring Land Alliance. Right, and you've got a raffle there um, that looks pretty good, too. Some we, uh, wonderful stuff. We do. We have a, a great raffle. We just have uh, five items uh, ranging in value from $700 to $50. Um, quickly, they include a, uh, a handmade, main-crafted stool with a value of $700 uh, from craftsman Dave Talley. Um, two nights at Point Lookout in Northport, $550 value. Uh, two nights at the Nebo Inn on North Haven Island uh, in Penobscot Bay, $300 value. A Brambles gift basket gift certificate, or actually it's just a gift basket. Um, Brambles is, is in Belfast, a garden and outdoor equipment store. And a $50 gift certificate from Duck Trap Seafoods. Great. I just want to remind everybody, if you tuned in a little bit uh, later into the show, that this is Healthy Options. And we are speaking today with three people who are part of the Sustainable Backyards, a tour of homes, farms, and woods of Waldo County, which is being sponsored this Saturday, August 7th, from 10 to 5, by the uh, Sheepscoat Wellspring Land Alliance. And um, we are going to be, we have two of the people here, and so I think we're going to be talking with uh, Hank uh, Coletto and also with John Luft about their organizations and, and what they do in a little more detail. Um, Hank? Yes. Tell us about Ravenwood. Well, Ravenwood uh, Education um, sustainability, sustainability Education Site is uh, an intentional neighborhood. And there are five households presently. And one of our big goals is to promote education and sustainability education more specifically. And so one of the things we've done in the past is we've run university programs there, 10-week semesters as well as three-week-long uh, shorter courses. And the students have the ability to come there and instead of just learning about sustainability as a theory, they actually practice it on a daily basis. So they hand pump their water. They get water from an irrigation system that is all gravity-fed up um, from up on a hill. Uh, they bake their bread in, every week in an oven. and. Um, that oven that they use is a super efficient oven that runs on wood. So they have to go and cut the wood, they have to chop the wood, and then they have to um, grind their flour to bake the bread. So they get the whole experience, um, which is nice. Um, so we're excited Saturday to be hosting um, this event there. And um, we hope that folks will come and we're giving a talk at um, 10 o'clock and 12.30.
and the rest of the time is open time to just walk around and visit. But at 10 and 12.30, um, I'll be giving a tour um, and also talking about sustainability in general. Uh, so we hope folks will come and join us. And you are located where? We are located Sears. in Searsmont, Maine. Mm -hmm. Okay, and your website? Website is www.ravenwoodeducation.com. It's a great website. Um, it also has a, some wonderful photographs on there, and especially I'm especially interested in the outdoor bread oven because my son's gotten very interested in baking bread. He's made some excellent bread, and um, and I know there's quite a movement in Maine right now. We had the kneading conference um, the other day to raise wheat in the state of Maine so that we can go right from I guess at the conference they went right from harvesting the wheat all the way to making the bread in one day which was pretty cool. I thought that was really neat. So um, I, there is a picture of the bread oven, and it's quite an energy efficient thing. Apparently, I think it explained something about keeping the heat directly into baking the bread rather than having it heat up the whole building and everything all around it. So it's, it's pretty techno. Yeah, it's an outdoor huh? oven. Yeah. And uh, one of the things is that if you could imagine a, a wood stove where we've taken out the insides and we've put the fire chamber sort of inside where the wood would normally go but made the fire chamber much smaller and so what happens is there's insulation all around the fire chamber to keep that fire chamber as hot as possible hmm. so that most of the wood and the emissions are getting burned before they go up the chimney um, of course going up the chimney also heats the wood as well or heats the oven as well the oven also has four inches of insulation around it so all in all, we can burn, most of the day, we can run that oven on about 27 to 30 pounds of wood, which is quite a small amount. Pretty amazing. If you go on the website, it will describe to you the week the uh, bread is made once a week, and it talks about the process um, that everybody goes through in making the bread. And I think the oven is, is pretty amazing. Um, the, the other things I was really impressed with about Ravenwood is the, the number of collaborations that you've done. I listed uh, collaborations with Elder Hostel, the Montessori School, Tanglewood, Leslie College, um, Belfast Eco Village, Unity College, and Mofka, and there's probably even more. Um, can, can you explain a little bit about how those collaborations work? I think that's a, a great thing that you do. Yeah, um, well, we have uh, students come from all of those different places um, and sometimes just folks that are um, visiting as well. And um, one of the things that happens is uh, during the time they come, they spend up sometimes three hours or sometimes they spend three weeks or ten weeks. Um, but all the, all the ones, most of the ones you just listed are shorter programs where they're just coming to get a tour and see mm -hmm. what's going on there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I, I think it's great local uh, collaboration because most of these places and uh, are local, and I know that you do a lot of intensive things with Leslie College because you do those for credit, right, as well, right? Yes. In the past, we've run uh, university programs through Leslie University, so it was a 10-week, 16-credit uh, program and a six-credit, three-week semester. And um, in the future, we're working with another college, um, which hopefully will start up soon to be running those programs again. 
Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I think it's, it gets to be overwhelming because there's so much information out there and there's so much to be offered. But I would say to everybody listening out there, sometimes it's good to just pick one thing that you're really interested in and just kind of follow that one first if it's something really fun and something that you would like to do. And I'm going to just read um, a list of things that I know has been offered at Ravenwood in some of their courses because it's just totally incredible. Small-scale organic agriculture, wild edibles, beekeeping, raising chickens, wholesome and healthy cooking, composting, passive solar design, photovoltaic systems, energy conservation techniques, bread making in the outdoor oven, simple living skills, uh, greenhouse growing techniques, and measuring your ecological footprint. So there's an awful lot there. You could just pick one of those subjects and and, uh, really get into that. So I I do highly recommend the website and that you uh, come on Saturday and, and visit Ravenwood. Um, do you want to talk about a couple of the other places that are going to be on the tour? Um, what, what, actually, I wanted to ask uh, Hank to mention some of the other things that you have there available for people to see, because that list certainly doesn't cover them. Like, there's a yeah, um, one of the one of the um, buildings is it's a library for the students as well as a dining area for when it's cold, and that's a building that was built by students. So when the students come there, they five days a week work on projects and the project might be to build a greenhouse. We have an agricultural greenhouse. Um, But one of the buildings is their library and it was built mostly from materials from the land, uh, rocks um, from nearby and it's a passive solar building. And the time when the students are there, they stay until about the end of November and usually they have maybe one fire in the wood stove during that time because the building is pretty much heated by the sun and it's stored in the rock walls and the rock floor so that it takes a long time to heat up and a long time to cool down. So that building is is sort of a uh, big um, a big deal for the students to live in each day and learn about passive solar concepts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Great. And then one more thing I'll just say is that our gardens are we use um, biointensive techniques, and so we're, we um, can grow about 2,000 pounds of food on a, around a seventh of an acre of That's land. That's so amazing to me. That's just so totally amazing on how much food you can grow on a very small piece of land. I think a lot of people out there think, oh, we're, we're talking about acres and acres of, of land here. But a lot of this is um, small-scale, very intensive farming with very good soil organically mm-hmm. done. And a lot, we've done a lot to build the soil there. And yeah. one of the things that we're trying to do is only take um, nutrients from the land itself. We do take mm-hmm. a little bit from off the land in the form of leaves. Um, but other than that, we're feeding the soil with things that we actually grow on the land. Everything from cover crops to comfrey um, to stump sprouts from the forest, and that's how we're feeding the soil. And one other thing I'll just say um, in terms of the garden is that um, when I say 2,000 pounds of food, it's not just vegetables, but we're growing a mixed nutrition. So when the students come there, they get about maybe 70% of their nutrition from the land. And that includes things like dry beans, wheat, uh, flour corn to make tortillas, um, and all sorts of other things as well. But we're trying to grow calories as well as some protein, um, as well as some fat. And um, Pretty ambitious. That, that's pretty amazing. 
There's a there's a wonderful video um, online. It's an interview with Hank where he's talking about um, the chemical composition of zucchini, and I highly recommend that you that you watch that because I think it is pretty amazing. And you do explain in that video about the idea of not importing, what is it phosphorus? There uh, mind mind elements in and putting that on the soil. You really try to do it with everything that you have there so that you're sustainable. Yeah, as much as we can, we're trying to avoid. I mean, if you look at where things are coming from to feed mostly industrial agriculture, although in terms of organic agriculture, it's also happening. A lot of those minerals are in the form of either phosphorus or potassium and things like that are coming from open pit mines. So if you want to look at something like potassium, you can go to a place in Moab, Utah, and there's a huge open pit mine, which is causing water pollution problems in right. the Colorado mm -hmm. River. Yeah. So it's all connected to something. And mm -hmm. so we're trying instead with our potassium, we grow comfrey and comfrey grows to have roots that are about 11 feet deep. And it pulls up lots of potassium that's usually wow. lost by other plants yeah. that can't reach down that far and brings it up, put it in, puts it in its leaves, and then we cut the comfrey and put it in the compost pile and then in turn put it into the soil. Mm -hmm. Now, the comfrey itself isn't producing potassium. But it's, it's a vehicle bringing for it bringing that up. That's really interesting. I had no idea the roots go down 11 feet. Mm -hmm. Totally amazing. Incredible, incredible. Um, well, Ravenwood is certainly a place that you might want to visit on Saturday. Uh, where else, what else would you like to talk about? Um, Buck, let's um, give everybody a little plug here. <laughs> well, actually, uh, Hank just made me think of something when he was talking about the potassium and how often we get that from, you know, uh, mineral source out in Utah or from South Florida from, you know, the open pit mines down there. And, you know, we when we were creating this idea of the tour, you know, the issue came up, too, about, like, well, we're asking people to drive around Waldo County in yeah. their fossil fuel-run cars. And, they you know, can maybe, carpool, I guess. Uh, right, they can <laughs> carpool or they can bike but and maybe that that's contradictory and and I've had that discussion a lot over the years I used to also teach on the Audubon expedition and uh, we drove around on a school bus and took people students around the country and people would often say oh well how do you, what are you doing here you know you're driving around in a school bus and trying to teach environmental education how, how does that work you know that seems very contradictory and and the, the truth is is that our, our lives are at this point in history are so filled with contradictions in terms of the kinds of impacts we have, even when we're trying to be conscious about that, is that I think we have to be easy on ourselves and, and do the best that you can, you know, because it is so complicated. And, and most of the things that many of us depend on come from all over the world with all different kinds of impacts that oftentimes we're not at all aware of, you know, whether it's sweatshops in Central America or potassium mines in Utah or you know, the issues with bananas in Central America, uh, it, the list is endless. So I think we do make compromises, and we felt finally that it was fine to ask people to drive around Wallow County to learn about some more of <laughs> right. these sustainable practices that they might integrate into their own lives. Um, to, and then to answer your question, though, um, hopefully maybe one or two of these other folks will call in who are on the tour and give us a little more um, specific information about their place. Um, maybe John could say something about uh, Village Farm, the uh, community-supported agriculture farm in Freedom, since he's a member and has vis visited there numerous times. Sure, yeah. Uh, we were there last night picking up our, uh, our vegetables. Um, 
Since Explain what a CSA is. We uh, get into these acronyms sometimes. Sure. CSA is a um, community-supported agriculture, and the idea behind that is, is um, you know, you essentially, you know, um, get affiliated with a, a local farmer that you essentially come into an agreement with that they're going to grow your vegetables or, you know, a certain proportion of them uh, during the growing season, and then you have a weekly pickups to where you go to a pickup spot and pick up your uh, your share, they call them shares, um, and then essentially there's your week supply of, of, um, of vegetables and, and, and what have you. It depends on the CSA. It doesn't necessarily have to be vegetables. There are other ones that have poultry and meat and what have you. Uh, and the idea behind that is that your food is coming, you know, more local. You will know who your farmer is and, you're, you know, it's part of the community. And it's, uh, your, your food becomes more of a, you know, an exciting experience. Uh, and it's, it's great. It's more fun. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, I, think, I think Joe Salatin uh, uh, coined that term, the farmer with a face. I recently went to, was, had the privilege of going to an all-day workshop with him in Bangor. And uh, he, he was the guy, the farmer who was featured in... Um, He's from Polyface Farm, and he was featured in uh, Michael Pollan's The Omnivore's Dilemma. And this whole element of, of making this fun and enjoyable and, and getting to know the person that you buy your things from is, is just adds a whole other element to, um, it's so different from the grueling thing of going with a shopping cart to shop and save. Sure. <laughs> it's a totally different experience. And these CSAs do exist on all kinds of different levels so that, we're trying to provide all kinds of options. There are options for everybody in local food. You can grow your own. You can belong to a CSA. You can shop at a farmer's market. Um, lots of opportunities, and ultimately it would be really wonderful if we could end up being um, sustainable in our food here in Maine because there's no reason why we really couldn't do that. Lots of workshops about root cellars and how to store things. I know at my farm we're growing uh, potatoes and carrots and beets um, with the idea of storage crops that get you through the winter. Used to be there were only CSAs in the summer. Now there are a lot of farmers markets that go into the winter with storage crops. Um, so lots of things, lots of things happening all the way around. So uh, tell us a little bit more about Village Farm. So it's a it's a CSA. Yeah, they're located in uh, Freedom, Maine. Uh, it's run by uh, uh, Polly and Prentice. Um, um, essentially, uh, um, it's a certified organic uh, farm, and um, yeah, it's a. Um, I, I met both of them, and they're they're delightful people. And one thing that really um, strikes uh, my mind, because I've I've been in farming for a very long time, a lot of times people do either vegetables or they do livestock. These people do both. Believe me, that is a lot of work. That yeah. is really a lot of work, and they are totally dedicated and very very nice folks. So I think that that would be a wonderful place to visit. I also noticed that at 2 p.m., uh, Melissa White Pillsbury is going to give a talk called Local Seasonal Organic Eating in Maine. She's from Mofka. So that's another added plus for visiting Village Farm on Saturday. Um, one, of the, one of the other places on the tour, and I don't think um, 
I don't think he'll be calling in, so I'll say a little more about his place, is uh, Stover Woods in Waldo, um, owned by Lee Stover. He's the third generation of his family to live on this 100-acre forest and to sustainably forest there. Um, he calls himself a forester, logger, and operates a sawmill, and he manages his woods for lumber, pulpwood, firewood, wildlife habitat, clean water, recreation, and aesthetics. Um, and if you haven't ever visited a, a woods you know, where somebody's doing this and doing a great job, and Lee does do a great job at this, it's pretty exciting to see. And, and oftentimes you'll go see a woods that it looks is you know more dynamic and and more beautiful than a lot of the woods that we're used to seeing where you know the the care and effort isn't put into really ma making sure it's um taken well care of a lot of times you'll have somebody come in who doesn't own the land and do the cutting and and you're not going to get the same kind of care um as you would from a person that who owns the land is doing that themselves um i know this is true out in montville i think of one neighbor in particular who manages his woods and, and does it very sustainably and you know some of our trails cross his property and it's it, his land is some of the most beautiful woods out there in Montville and some of the biggest trees as well um, so it's, it's a great and fun thing to see if you've never experienced uh, some woods where this is happening. I, I can personally speak to this because um, Lee, I live near Lee, right, very close to Lee, and a couple of years ago we decided that we were going to build um, a fence for our cows and horses, a big paddock area, and we bought all of the lumber from Lee. As a matter of fact, Lee and another neighbor, two other neighbors, actually built the fence. So we have this as the kind of memorial fence to all of these guys who helped out, and we know that that lumber came from about a quarter of a mile away from our house which was really a wonderful thing. And Lee does have a very interesting operation there. So that's another thing for Saturday. Uh, we've kind of blown by our break here. And if that's OK with everybody, maybe we'll just keep going. Um, it is a little bit past the half hour. So we would like to open the phone lines to anyone who would like to call in. Um, the number is 866-625-9378. That's 866-625. 9378. We welcome your comments and any of your questions. And also, if you have a story about some way in which you have practiced sustainability, um, we would love to hear that story. It's always great to hear people's personal stories. So please call us, 866-625-9378. Um, I'd also like to go to John and have you talk about Revision Energy. Sure. Uh, Revision Energy is a uh, mechanical contracting company uh, specializes in renewable energy systems, uh, in particular uh, solar electric, we refer to it as PV, photovoltaic, uh, grid-tied systems, and uh, also solar hot water systems. So essentially making electricity from the sun or uh, heating water from the sun. Those are the two systems that we specialize in. Um, we've been uh, doing this since uh, 2003. <coughs> and have over 2,000 installations throughout the state of Maine. Uh, we currently have a, um, uh, a shop uh, branch down in Portland and soon to be in New Hampshire, so we're kind of expanding uh, a little bit south. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty exciting time to be in this type of business, um, and um, yeah, it's great. Um, we're, we have a caller on the line, so caller, would you like to go ahead, and then we'll go back to John again. Hello? Sure. Sure. My name's Ivor, and I live on Swan's Island in the summer and Skowhegan in the winter. Ah, pretty nice. Yeah, and John Luft actually installed our solar hot water system in Skowhegan. Hello, Ivor. Hi. And it, I, I think uh, I was thinking what people don't realize about the uh, whole sustainability thing is it also saves 
lot of money. We figured out our, um, we cut our fossil fuel use by about half. You know, I'm very concerned about peak oil and different things. But I also realized if I added it all up and figured out, you know, smaller cars and, uh, you know, electric cars and uh, solar, hot water and all the various things we've done, and I figured it out, and we probably save $3,000 a year. So I, I don't know, you know, for an average person, it's actually a lot of money. Yes, so it is a lot of actually, money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that actually paid for all the various things we've done. So so what what are some of the things that um, you had John do at your place? Well, he did he uh, did the solar hot water system with revision energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also did, you know, insulation. We uh, uh, put in a wood stove. But, you know, that wasn't, you know, this is just Was this on a new home or a remodeled? An old home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe 100, 100 and something years old. Mm-hmm. Lots of those in Maine, yeah. So I mean, it is possible to you know use half of the uh, half the fossil fuels that you use that that people use, and I I kind of think that's the way to go at it is uh, start to figure out a gradual way of kind of cutting down the amount of stuff that we use, and I think you know the price going up sort of helps, and uh, also I think people don't really realize that there's a way to save money and keep keep afloat as a middle class person, and and the way is sustainability. You're not just doing it because you know you're saving the planet; you're really just saving yourself. Right. Right. There is the practical aspect of it that you're actually saving money. We, yeah. Yes. And saving and saving, keeping you know yourself afloat as a middle class person. Yeah. Or you know you know even whoever you are. Right. So right. I, I thought I'd mention that, right. and you know very few people realize this. Uh, it's almost like you know I realized it's like finding a ten dollar bill on the ground every single day. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much thank for you. calling in. Yes, and and like Ivor points out, there's you know there's many steps to this. Uh, you know, Revision Energy offers you know uh, a couple of those options. You know, with solar electric and solar thermal. You know, if we look at the state of Maine, you know we have you know roughly 450,000 homes in this state that are heated with oil, and that comes up to around 1.5 billion gallons of fossil fuels uh, annually. And you know, and, and we that that's you know fuel that we as Mainers are purchasing, and uh, you know of that, about two billion dollars of that money leaves the state every year. So anytime that we can localize this, it, it benefits the community at large and the and the planet. And um, you know, there are you know, it, it's amazing you know what we see in terms of how people heat their hot water. You know, we we have some incredibly you know, archaic systems that are in place. You know, they're based on very, very inexpensive um, oil um, and essentially without any look to the future. You know, we, we come across many, many uh, scenarios in people's basements where, you know, I'm sure uh, you it, see a it's, lot it's of interesting incredibly things. wasteful. And we can do something about it. We can have a solar hot water system that covers, you know, close to 80% of your, of your hot water. You know, that, that's 80%, um, you know, reduction in your fossil fuel use just from that one device. Great. We have another caller on the line. Good morning. Hi. Uh, this is David from Brooklyn. Uh, Hi, David. Thanks for your show, and uh, I'm really enjoying the airing of the perspective and um, hearing about the work that's being done. Uh, I, uh, I was really intrigued by the, the title. I think it was the title, uh, uh, something about uh, edible backyards. Sustainable backyards, right? Where, Right. Sustainable backyards, yeah. And uh, I, I just wanted to, uh, I was like, uh, wanted to put a little bit of a meditation out there about monocropping in general and um, how we don't really like monocropping. Of course, it's, it's pretty dangerous, specializing in 
in any one particular thing at the expense of everything else is, is you know, a risky business. And um, we, it's like come to be politically correct to be against it. And I understand all the reasons for that. But then it, in a way, we also, like, we, also, we have to embrace all the things that, that we're against in order to get through this. Uh, you have to look at the, the notion of CSA, for example, and uh, the notion of uh, my farmer, uh, and to what extent uh, that is, in a way, uh, putting all the responsibility for growing uh, our food onto one uh, group of individuals. Uh, and put that up against the notion of sustainable backyards. Something I've been talking about with a few people in Brooklyn is that if we all of us grew in our own backyards, individual backyards, a portion of the total uh, food needs of our local growing community, uh, that would be an, a whole other way to look at the thing, so that in a way we would all become our farmers. And... Um, uh, you know, like I, you know, my backyard happens might happen to be suited to uh, potatoes, or might happen to be suited to carrots, or to uh, sunflowers, or what have you. Whatever we would get together as a group of people, maybe through some common, some common uh, focusing mechanism, whether it be the, the fire department or the historical society or the church, or uh, we could create one of our own, which is the most difficult. Um, uh, and come up with a, a list of, of, of uh, uh, food needs that we might have and see whether between the bunch of us we could manage to supply them our, ourselves mm-hmm. and, you know, delegate responsibility from there and see what happens. Right. I, I think you're, you have some good points there. And I think if you uh, look at the number of gardening classes that are now offered in adult education programs and through various, I mean, people are doing so much more gardening than they've ever done before. So I think we're on the way to that. And of course, there are always some people who are not able to do that for various reasons. They might not live, you know, they might live in an apartment or whatever, and their or their work might prevent them from doing that. And so they also have that option of supporting that local farmer, which is well, farmers are small business people, and and supporting that is also a good thing. So I, I think maybe where you're going is we're very fortunate in Maine that we have soil and rainfall and and enough uh, land available for agricultural purposes that we have many, many opportunities here. And not all places in our country or in the world are so um, gifted as what we have here in Maine. Yes. Thanks, David. Sure. Did you want to say well, something? Well, David, one of the things I would just add is that, you know, as, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the history of the United States and the time when 80% of the people grew food and we were an agrarian society. And now if you look at those figures, those same figures now are somewhere between 1% and 2%, depending on what literature you look at, growing food for all of the rest. And so I like your dream of an agrarian society, and there probably won't be a time where everyone will grow food, but I hope a lot more people will choose that. And you know, a backyard garden is is absolutely the way to go if you can and have the means. Um, but there'll always be some that will need others to grow their food for them. I think it, it also brings up that issue about specialism, and you know, and how we depend on specialists 
as opposed to doing so many of the things for ourselves that people used to do. And, and you know, that's been changing. And, um, and I think it's an important issue to examine because we have come to depend on specialists in some ways, uh, in ways that, that harm us and harm the environment. And that if we, you know, paid more attention to our own food or, um, you know, if we were able to do that with transportation, which we can't do right now very easily, um, you know, we we might make other choices. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. I just want to remind listeners that this is Healthy Options, and this morning we're talking about the uh, annual fundraiser that's coming up for the Sheepscut Wellspring Land Alliance. Um, it's going to be this Saturday, August 7th, um, from 10 to 5 p.m. Uh, you can go to their website at www.swlamain.org to get more detailed information. And uh, we just want to tell you about this program going on this weekend, and we will be, um, this is a call-in show, so if you would like to call in, the number is 866-625-9378. So if you have some stories about sustainability that you um, have practiced in your own life or heard from other people, we love to hear stories. We've got just a few minutes left, so if you would like to call in, please do so. I wanted to go back to you, John. I had some questions. Um, is it true that Maine has a lot of sunny days annually? I mean, I, I've heard this. Is this sure, true? Yeah. statistically? Believe it or not, when we live in Maine and, and it's cold for, it uh, seems like, half the year sometimes, and it doesn't seem like, you don't think of Maine as a very sunny state. But, you know, in, uh, in reality, though, we, we actually get more uh, solar energy in, in Maine than um, countries like Germany. You know, and Germany's leading the world right now in solar in, uh, installations in terms of, of that. So we're actually in a, in a pretty good spot on the planet for this type of technology, and uh, it, it works very, very effectively. Uh, in this state, e even in the winter time, with a you know with a solar hot water system, you know we can easily heat your water to 100 degrees uh, in the winter time when it's you know zero degrees outside. With this, the technology has really come a long way. Pretty amazing. Yeah, we are lucky in Maine that we do have some so much sunshine for solar power, and also I think for our own personal health. I know I like to live in in sunny places. We do have another caller on the line. Caller, go ahead. Hi, um, um, this is Maggie. I'm in Rockland. Um, I just learned that. Um, Hannaford had lowered the price for the Maine Organic Growers' milk, um, assisting that enterprise, really, um, and expanding its customer base. And I think that's a good thing. I think that the, um, uh, well, I look out in the yard <laughs> and see that with all the vegetables growing, if I were to to rely on that um, for food, I'd be starving to death probably by January. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm, well, I fully support all efforts to, uh, to grow locally. I think that working with grocery store chains to um, encourage them to uh, stock increasingly greater numbers of sustainable food, non-monopoly food, is as important as any uh, CSA or homegrown enterprise. Uh, hopefully, they won't go away. Um, most, most people shop at the grocery store, and uh, what we can 
any action we can take to encourage uh, their development as a um, as an entity that's supportive of safely grown food is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. Anybody want to jump in on this one? Um, I, I think it's a good point. You, you, you it know, is it is important point. to work with your local stores, whether it's your mm-hmm. grocery store or, or any other kind of store, and encourage them to buy products that you believe are good products, better made products, more ecologically sound products. Um, and grocery stores are responsive to that sort of thing, and they've also been very responsive to the interest and, and demand in organic foods as, you know, there's been a huge change in what's available at Hannaford grocery stores, for example, in recent years and the number of, the amount of organic produce and products that they now have available. And um, that's a great thing. And, and, I th- and I think, again, part of the issue comes down to, or the big part of the issue comes down to the sustainability piece is that so much of our food that we, when you go to a large grocery store and buy it, I think the average food item in the United States travels 1,200 miles, you know, from the field to your table. And fossil fuels are a big part of that process. And, you know, we just had this big spill in the Gulf of Mexico recently that's, you know, been a, you know, a, a devastating event ecologically for people down there and for their livelihoods. And that's the sort of thing we have to look at, I think, when we make the choices that we make and and understand all the costs that are involved like that one. That's one of the risks. It doesn't happen that often. But when it does happen, the impact is devastating for people that live in that area, and it it can last for years. Um, And so if there are ways for us to um, make things, grow things that are more ecologically sustainable and, and have fewer risks involved, those are things at this point we need to be doing because of the, that we, we have six billion people on the planet right now, and um, that's that's a lot of people to manage and to mm-hmm. you know meet the needs of. Well, we think just about the state of Maine. Suppose we had no trucks coming in with any food into the state of Maine. I think it's estimated that um, you know we we'd last only a few days, and that's that's kind of a thought to ponder. Um, I think part of what you're talking about of um, food not being available after January is part of the reason why there's been such a movement to have food sellers um, and for people to understand that there are a lot of times we should eat seasonally. It's good for us and we need to do that. We need to have ways to store our food. Um, But I think working on all fronts and your point certainly about the local grocery store is great because we didn't used to see any organic produce there. Um, Now we're looking at organic produce and saying, okay, where is that organic produce coming from? Good to have organics, but if we can grow it in Maine, do we really want to bring it from California? So I think we're getting better all the time. And I think there's many, you know, and like the caller alluded to, there's not just one answer you right. know, there's many steps to this that's what's nice about this tour is it it kind of shows all angles of things from forestry to farm to technology and uh, it really highlights all of the possibilities of actions that people are in our community are actually taking and doing uh, you can see it firsthand hands-on you know the the, the shop we have in liberty you know it, it's uh, you know the, the space itself is interesting too we, we you know we burn four cords of wood and 10 gallons of propane you know, for a 2,000-plus square foot, you know, uh, you know, warehouse, you know, business facility. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you can see that stuff. Yeah. Sure. I'm sorry, because I know you're almost out of time. It's kind of a, it's a very um, hot question, really. We like hot questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this has been bothering me for years. Um, 
the Moscow Fair has tens of thousands of cars going through open land and fields um, for their fair, and yet don't uh, have, even now, as far as I know for this year, have an organized centralized parking with, um, you know, with buses or, you know, with buses to, to the site. Um, to me, this is the ultimate hypocrisy. Um, the effects of that event are far-reaching. Do, um, do you have a suggestion on how to do that? Yeah, centralized parking with busing. Where, where, where I'm not sure where you. Well, there would have to be there would have to be a few sites, but but the, but the point is that I guess it's just a dose of reality that it it, it can't be. I can't even articulate uh, how... You know, I, I, I just wanted to... I just have a little note here. Mafka has a show on WERU now. Um, it airs Friday. Yeah. Friday's at 10 a.m. Yeah. And so these are some sort of technical questions because I don't well, really know I'm their sorry, transportation system. But I think it is, is a very example, valid question. An example. We're talking about thousands of miles and using petrochemicals. I mean, I, I should... You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying here. I mean, there is sort yeah. of the antithesis of what the thing is all about. I, I, and I think I'd, we need a dose of reality and balance in all of this, that's all. I'd, I'd be happy to take a quick response. I think I started off the show with this in saying that, you know, we had to deal with the issue of asking people to drive around in their cars to participate in the sustainability tour. And um, and that was a comment we used to hear years ago with the when I taught on the Audubon expedition and we traveled around in a bus and and it, what it is is we can't do things perfectly um, and, you know all we can do is do the best we can and I'm sure that's what Mofka is trying to do and to try to my guess is to try to coordinate that parking and you know and busing people there from different locations in Maine would be a, a logistical headache that they don't feel like they're able to undertake. Um, but I, I, I would I think it's too bad if we feel like that negates you know everything else that they're trying to do. Well, uh, thank you very much, and thank you all of the callers that uh, called in, and all of you listeners. We just want to remind you that this Saturday, August seventh, from ten to five p.m., will be um, the fundraiser for the Sheepscot Wellspring Land Alliance. Thank you, everybody, John and Hank and Buck for being with us this morning on Healthy Options. I hope that you will also listen again next time. And in the meantime, stay healthy, be well, and thanks for listening.